you, and it's, it's something I'm excited. It was, I, I guess I would call this one of like my dad's life messages. It was one of the things that he taught uh, that impacted me the most. And of course, that's coming from me as his son, physical son and, and spiritual son, as my pastor and my dad. This message, and, and, and in ways, there was times in my life it was, it was hard to understand a little bit. Um, you know, when you go to summer camp as a kid like, like I did, and there was a minister one year at summer camp that drew a clear line in the sand on a whiteboard just like this. And on one side he wrote, these are good Christian things. And on the other side he wrote, these are bad things that aren't Christian things. I mean, faith, Christianity is something that is unique to people, right? Humans that, that can, can develop faith and, 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 and believe in the Lord. Yet there was a list of items and pieces of art that he wanted to label Christian or non-Christian. He was like, and if you're a Christian, you stay away from all of this stuff. One of the things on that list was secular music, right? What a word. What a phrase. We've all heard secular music. You got to stay away from it. It's bad. Well, you know what that taught me? That all Christian music was good, all secular music was bad. And i got to be honest, I've heard worse messages in some Christian songs than I've ever heard in secular songs. I'm not trying to be cynical here, but 60% of the Christian songs I hear on the radio are nothing but doubt and unbelief. I mean, it's crazy how much doubt and unbelief and negativity makes it onto Christian radio. Uh, and this is not a bashing Christian radio uh, a message here. The message my dad always tried to get through to me is stop compartmentalizing your life. Stop having areas in your life that are reserved for faith. And then another area that is reserved for work. And then another area that is reserved for hope. Yet there's a conversation I have with this person on a regular basis that is reserved for complaining and talking about how dark things are. And we're not going to infuse hope into this conversation because we get a little kick out of talking about how bad things are. When we compartmentalize our life, we will live like a split personality person. We will live like somebody who is, like the word says, unstable in all their ways because they are double-minded. How can a house stand if it's divided? Now, the reason I said it was a hard lesson I have one minister in my ear saying there is sacred and there is secular and you don't mess with the secular if there's a sacred. And then I had my dad in my ear that said, you are a believer. You have a born again spirit to you. Everything is sacred to you. Everything is sacred. There is no secular. Now, take that in for a second. Don't call me a heretic. Saying that there's nothing secular doesn't mean everything is beneficial. Yeah. Saying that everything is sacred actually will put more of an emphasis on the importance of what goes in yeah. this sacred mind wow. so and what stays out of this sacred mind. So yeah. Because everything out there is filled with hope or it's filled with negativity. Everything out there is either leading you closer to the Father. Well, obviously, he, he can't really get closer. He's right here, but within our thoughts, everything out there is leading us closer to Him or driving us away. 
because everything to the believer is sacred. What are you going to allow in? When I was a kid, it was a bit of a hard thing to understand. But as I get older, I'm seeing more and more what he was talking about. And I'm going to try my best. And I know that uh, the Holy Spirit is, is, is working within me and within all of us. It's going to help uh, make my best even better. In fact, when they were singing, you keep on getting better. All I could keep thinking, and I was singing it to myself up here, is that the best thought I've ever had of God, he's even better than that. And have you ever thought about that? The best way you've ever thought about him, he's even better. But you know what? The best thought you've ever had of you, he even has better thoughts of you than the best thought you've ever had of you. When you picture yourself at your best, God says, yes, and even more. You don't even know what you're capable of. You don't even know the plans I have for you, but I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to give you hope and a future. And I love it in the King James. I don't love the way the King James words everything, but I love the way the King James says, and an expected end. Too many times in the natural, we expect our end to be like someone else's end. Well, this is how it ended for mom. This is how it ended for aunt whoever. This is how it ended for whatever. This is how my story will end too. And God says, no, no, no. The end that you expect, the end I expect for you is even better. Because it has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It's hope, future filled with it. But here's the thing about hope. As a believer, we're called not just to take it into every part of our own life, which I'm going to get to that. We're called to take hope into every place we ever walk into. Our homes, our workplace, our extended family, our dinner conversations, our, our morning drive into the office. We are called to take hope everywhere we go. But the issue some folks have with taking things somewhere is you have to receive it first. You have to receive something before you can take it anywhere. We see a great example of this in Acts uh, at chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. Jesus is ascending to heaven. He's talking to the disciples, and this blows my mind. We're going to do a whole series on it. But here's something that's just, uh, I guess, been in my heart. And I've even said it once before, but Jesus tells the disciples, don't tell anyone about me until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how important the ministry of the Holy Spirit is within the believer. These guys were Christians. They believed in Jesus. They saw the resurrected Savior. They were about to see him ascend to heaven. And he goes, don't go preach yet. Go lock yourselves in a room in case you're tempted to preach. And stay in that room until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because do you know that the fruit of the Holy Spirit within you, Eric talked about it last night, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, gentleness. The number one fruit is love. And what did Paul say about love? You can cast out demons. You can preach the gospel 
But if you don't do it in love, it's nothing more than a clanging symbol. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you preach the gospel without love, it's just a clanging symbol. Have you ever heard a clanging symbol when it comes to the gospel? I mean, it goes back to this double-minded thing. God loves you. You're going to hell, but he loves you. Your sins are sending you straight there, but he loves you. It's like, wait a minute, what are you saying? I'm hearing two things coming out of your mouth. Do you know the gospel without love is just another dead religion? Take that in for a second. The gospel without love is just another dead religion. Jesus, love incarnate, walked the earth for 33 years and he told the religious people, you are completely missing it. You know the scriptures, he told the Pharisees. We read this verse last week. You know the scriptures left and right, up and down, backwards and forwards, but you haven't seen one time that they just point to me. Love incarnate, who said, Philip, you want to see the Father? Watch me, because I'll only do what I see the Father doing. So we have this perfect image of God in the flesh. We have this perfect image of love incarnate. And then, as of 2,000 years ago, they had scriptures that were life-giving. But without that missing element of love, and in today's world, this gospel Without that love is nothing more than a clinging symbol. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus said, don't go spread another dead religion. Lock yourselves in a room. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, go tell everyone. Start in Jerusalem. That's where they were at. Go to Judea. That was like their state. And then go through the uttermost parts of the earth. But not until you got that love on the inside of you, not until you got that joy, that peace, that patience, that kindness, that goodness, that gentleness, that long suffering. Wait until then, because that is hope at its core. Jesus is hope. He is the hope. And when the Holy Spirit that dwelled in him dwells upon you, dwells inside of you, you then have something that you can take to the streets of Gastonia, to the streets of North Carolina, the highways of the U.S., the oceans of the world, into whatever place you ever step foot. It's got to start, though, right here. And if you're not taking it to your home and your family first and foremost, please don't try to go take it to the streets. Start with yourself. Start with your family. There was a reason he said, right here and then go out. But you got to get it. You got to receive it. And, and hope is so important, too, because we talk about this all the time. It's what our faith follows. Uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith looks to hope like the light at the end of the tunnel. And faith says, ooh, that's where we're going. And all of a sudden, your faith, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, your faith takes those things that you've only hoped for that are on the inside and makes them of substance. Substance. It makes them uh, tangible. It makes them real in the natural realm. I, I talked about this before church started because my mama told me to. 
But we had five or six goals as a staff to get done, just physical things. It wasn't, uh, it was physical things around here we wanted to have done by the conference that was this weekend. We wanted the outside of the church painted. We wanted new floors in the modular, new chairs in the sanctuary, a new sound system. And I always, I forgot this fifth one like four times already, but there was something else. And in January, I thought to myself on the inside, that's a lot of stuff. Let's just shoot for the moon. Maybe we'll hit a star and get a couple of them done. But we hoped and we just took steps. And sometimes they seemed like small steps. We called our friend Jay and said, hey, would you give us a paint quote? And all of a sudden he's saying, well, we won't be able to do this before the summer because of supply chain issues. And then a week and a half later, the church was painted. We just took a step, right? We had some hope. And then something happened beneath the surface and it made all these things happen. And these, in the grand scheme of things, are kind of, you could say they're, they're important, don't get me wrong, but kind of unimportant, just natural things, right? Some cosmetic stuff. The big goal was to do a successful conference that people had their lives changed at and stuff. And that was, boom, check that one too. This has been an awesome weekend. Faith follows your hope. If, if, if your hope is the car that brought you here, faith is like the GPS that told you how to get here. If your hope is the air, air condition that's cooling this room down, if your faith is the air condition that's cooling this room down, the hope is the thermostat on the wall that tells the AC or the heat what to do. It's the direction. I might have said that wrong with the GPS. If your car is the faith, the hope is the GPS. got to have hope. You got to get it first. You got to get it first. You have to take that hope of Jesus, not into one part of your life, into every part. So here's where our whiteboard comes in. Maybe I can do that in the mic. All right. Okay. I had a list like this growing up, and probably a lot of us did. You ready for this? We're going to label it one, through five. Look, those are such neat numbers. That's the best I've ever written a number in my life. Number one, oh, we know what number one is, right? Number one has to be God. Number two, probably say family. What do we got next? Uh, maybe church or work. Somebody's going to put work before church. Somebody's going to put church before work. It's all, it's whatever. Don't get excited about this list because we're going to destroy it. Let's call it recreation. Fifth, right? Let's just go with five things. Can y'all please clap for me and how neatly I wrote that? Thank you. Thank you. Principal Simmons, did I write that well? Thank you. And she's comparing that to the kindergartners that she principals. <laughs> Thank you. All right. This is a great way, this list, if you're just listening on a podcast, this list is numbered one through five. And it goes like this, number one, God, number two, family, number three, church, number four, work, number five, recreation. It's a good looking list. Let's put God first, then let's put our family. This is a great way to bring God and the hope that comes with your father into a good one fifth of your life. This is a great way to bring the hope of Jesus into 20% of your life. Each one of these things represent 20% of your life. This is a great way to keep God out of 80% and bring him into 20%. Or we could say it this way. This is a great way to bring the hope of Jesus into 20% of your life and keep it there. This is called compartmentalizing. 
This is, I put God first and then my family gets the rest of the time. And, and, and let's just be honest, if, if you have something that's first, everything else is just a leftover, right? So we're going to, God is first and then my family gets some 20% of the leftovers, then church gets, or maybe it's a different, maybe God gets 20%, family gets 10 and, and church, I don't know, like whatever it is, it becomes very religious and, and, and detailed and, and it's just a mess. You know what this list also leads to for, for a lot of believers? It leads to burnout. Yeah. It leads to burnout. It leads to your family suffering because I got to go put God first. What that translates to sometime is I got to go put the things I do at church first. And if I'm not there doing this and my family's suffering, well, that's just how it's going to be. I'll put God first and he'll take care of the rest. But he told you to take care of your family. Right. He's obviously going to take care of us. But he said, no, you're 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 the parent. You're you're the you're the husband. You're the wife. You have a calling and your first calling is to your family. Don't put anything before that. Right. That's called compartmentalizing and even uh, believers compartmentalizing church and, 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 and relationship with the Lord. When I was a teenager and I went to this summer camp, I would literally count the minutes I spent with the Lord in the morning. I would put on a stopwatch or I'd look at a clock and I would read my Bible and then I would pray and then I'd put on a worship album and I would just sit there in my room and worship and I'd look down at the clock and I'd be like, 76 minutes. God is going to be so happy about this. That's <laughs> just not how it works. You know what that led to? The next day when I slept in and I only had 17 minutes. You dirtbag, you only had 17 minutes to spend with God this morning. He's going to be so frustrated. He's going to be so angry. And I would go into the rest of my day completely self-focused and self-absorbed and obsessed with my own shortcomings, which is literally the opposite of humility. It's, that's just being stuck up to the core. Whether you're obsessed with your victories or your failings, and I'd go through the rest of my day, and when I'd be sitting beside somebody in need, I would just hold my head down. I wish I could give them what they needed, but I'm the guy that could only spend 16 minutes with the Lord this morning. I'll just wait for somebody else to come along that spent 24 minutes with the Lord, and they'll have what that person needs. Glory a Dios. That's right. <laughs> Glory to God. You're right. That's exactly a great place to say it. That's what I would do. That was my life. That was it, and things suffered. I wasn't taking the hope of Jesus into every moment. I was keeping it in one separate, and we all get there. Man, our work is our work sometimes, and it becomes miserable when work becomes work. You might enjoy it at first, but eventually the mundane kicks in, and you're like, oh, I've done this every day for the past how many days? 80 days. If I have to wake up and make this drive one more time, somehow you do it. Somehow you do it a thousand more times, but you have those days, and it becomes mundane. And then if this is the list, the church and even serving the Lord becomes some, so mundane. One of the issues is a lot of people, we say this prayer all the time, Lord, use me. And if we're, not, if we're not being used by the Lord, we feel like we're worthless. But that comes from a mindset of somebody who's only either been used or knows how to use people. That's not the relationship with God. My kids do not have to be used by Lisa and myself for me to love them. Sometimes the dishes get unloaded when I say unload the dishwasher, and sometimes they don't. I'm just going to be honest. Are these clean or dirty? Oh, I'm pretty sure they're, they're, those are dirty. I, I, I unloaded it. Those have to be the dirty ones. 
But you would have had to unload it in the past 20 minutes. How do we get 18 bowls dirty in the last 20 minutes and reload this dishwasher? I don't know. It's crazy, isn't it? How do we use 18 bowls? It's crazy. It must have been Ava. I mean, 18 bowls of cereal. That's crazy. I mean, I like, as a parent, there's times, I, I, I mean, I do have a need even sometimes to use my kids, right? Judah helped me cut the grass a couple weeks ago for the first time. That particular day, I was running low on time. I said, Judah, I need you. He was more than happy to help. We enjoyed cutting grass together, right? But that is not the major or most important aspect of our relationship. It's a father-son relationship. And we just hang out sometimes. We watch YouTube videos and, and we, we play video games sometimes. We went to a soccer game yesterday morning. We had to be an hour away from our house at 7.30 in the morning. We spent all that wonderful time together. It was great. We had Bojangles. Zach had Bojangles for the first time. Colorado boy. and oh, Really, he's British, but he's lived in Colorado for a long time. And Bojangles rocked his world yesterday. Next, we're going to try Sundrop, Tony's ice cream, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. But <clears throat> I'm sorry if you've only ever been used. But God doesn't want to just use you. He wants you. So good. And out of that relationship, there will be moments in your life where you're serving the Father not trying to earn his presence, presence, but from this place called his presence. And you'll be making a larger impact than you've ever made in your life. And here's a secret. You were just as loved before you ever had that moment where you were used greatly. You were just as loved before. If you locked yourself in a room for the rest of your life and never told one person about Jesus, you would be just as loved as Billy Graham standing in front of millions of people leading them to the Father. And we're so loved. Okay, so here's what we do. This is the list. God, family, church, work, recreation. We're going to raise the numbers because we don't need a number stuff, right? That's, that's, that's not important. And then we're going to do something. Maybe it's sacrilegious. I don't know. I got no need for religion. I don't know if y'all do, right? We have relationships. So let's do something sacrilegious. Let's erase number one. We're going to erase God. From the list, though, we can't erase God. We're just erasing a marker that said God on a whiteboard, okay? And it's only for a moment. Stay with me. Come on. I don't even know what that means. I'm sorry if that was bad. I don't know. This is still, it's all right, right? We have important things in our life. Family, man, that's important. Friends, I mean, we, we could make this list as long as it could be. There's so many things we could add. Friends, relationships. Uh, anything else. You can take it. This isn't Bible. This is just a, a thing I thought of here. Here's what we can do. Instead of a list, we're going to circle all this stuff, okay? And then we're going to write these letters, okay? The circle is the middle letter of 
the word God. We circled all this entire list. And do you see God surrounds it? Do you see that the list and God are one and the same? Do you see the list and our relationship with our Father are all now in the same place? There's not God in 20% of the list. This is not taking the hope of Jesus to one-fifth of our life. This is called relationship. I'm not married to Lisa when I'm at home washing dishes, doing laundry. I do laundry. I'm really good at laundry. I can get any stain out of any one of your clothes. Just ask me about it. I'm not just married to Lisa at home. And then when I'm driving without her in the car, we're not married. I'm not only married to her when we're at church doing ministry together. And then years ago, when we had jobs in different locations, I worked at Brinks. I wasn't unmarried when I worked at Brinks in Charlotte. I wasn't unmarried in the sandwich shop of honey baked hams when I was 20 years old, 19, I don't know. We were married the whole time. Amen, hallelujah. Listen, God is every part of it. And this takes the compartments out of your life. And this is how we take the hope of Jesus into every part of our life. We stop putting that hope into one part. And do you know when this when God becomes the outside of the list, the inside of the list, when your relationship with him is what everything flows out of, there's this thing called the leading of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And I'm telling you, not one part of this list will suffer. Come on. Not one part of this list will be neglected. Yes. Not one part. When the family is in need, the Holy Spirit is going to say, it's time to go home. It's time to go home, and then it doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter, and this is hard for me to say, if the floor is not all the way down and it's unfinished, you leave and you go home because the Holy Spirit said the family needs you. And then as a pastor, I don't know, maybe someone needs to hear this. It's going to be Sunday morning. You're getting ready for church, and somebody's going to say, I just wish we had some time together, and you're going to take your family on a mountain trip, and it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to be like, well, we really missed y'all today. Where were you at? And you're going to be like, well, we were in the mountains. I'm going to be like, that's awesome. I'm glad you did that. That church is going to have a project, and you're just going to pull up. Like, like Jeff Hall the other day. I called Jeff, and I said, Jeff, you're an inspector. That's what you do. You know how to inspect things. I got to find out if our subfloor, uh, well, I knew the subfloor was rotten. I got to find out if the joists and the beams are rotten underneath our module. What should I do? And he said, well... I guess you should wait about 13 minutes because that's when GPS says I'll be there. And then I'll jump underneath the modular and tell you if you got good wood or not. Hey, we got good wood. All we had to do was put some subfloor down. And, and then when work needs you, you're going to know when to say yes. And this is very, very important. You're going to know when to say no. You're going to know when to say, hey, enough's enough. You have purchased 40 hours of my time this week, not 41. Amen. Amen. Come on, baby. Some weeks we say, I'll allow you to purchase five more hours at time and a half. But anything over that is mine to decide. And you know what? If it's not God's best, it's not God's best. I'm not telling you to quit your job, but 
God's got it best for you. He doesn't want you to suffer. He also doesn't want you out there giving 100 hours a week to something that will burn one day. When you take the hope of Jesus that you have received when you said yes to the Father, it's in there. The Holy Spirit is in there if you're a believer. When you take that hope, instead of into only one part of your life that we can label God or we can label faith or we can label it relationship with God, you label it whatever you want. When it's in one part, you're missing it. When it's in one part, you're more like Martha, who when she could have been sitting at the feet of Jesus was worried about the dishes. But when it's the relationship, you end up more like Mary, who just says, hey, forget the dishes right now. I'm just sitting. And he doesn't want just part of it. He wants all this. You might, well, well, well I'm not going to take God hunting. Why not? He made it all. He walked up to a bunch of fishermen, and he said, hey, I want every part of you, even this fishing. Why don't we go be fishers of men? Maybe he'll say, hey, take me on your next hunt. We'll hang out in the duck blind together, and, and you'll have an awesome time. And then we'll go, you know. We'll go on a little hunt ourselves. We'll find somebody at Walmart. We'll tell them about me. And you'll, you'll lead somebody into the kingdom today. I like comic books a lot. You know, I don't read comic books and say, all right, God, go away. I'm going to read this comic book right now. We read them together. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite series we ever did here was called The Clone Conspiracy. And it was about conforming to this world instead of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And it came directly from a Spider-Man title in 2017 called The Clone Conspiracy. I was reading it and I was like, this would be a great sermon series. So we did it. And it was awesome. One of the most powerful moments I've ever had with the Lord was about a year after my dad died. There's this comic book thing called Kingdom Come. And it started with this pastor of a church talking about hope, which is my thing. I love talking about hope. That's what the Lord told me my cause is. As a person, as an individual, my cause is to take hope wherever I go. And this comic book starts with this minister talking about hope to an empty congregation. And you can see his thoughts and he's thinking, there's hope, is what he says. And then in the thoughts he goes, I don't believe that. And then he goes, you'll find hope in Jesus. This is a Batman comic book, by the way, in Superman. There's hope in Jesus. And then he thinks, I don't believe that, and they don't either. Look at this building, it's empty. And then he goes on this journey where he witnesses all these superheroes saving people. And then it ends with him in front of the same congregation, and it's packed out. And he goes, there is hope. And his thoughts say, I believe this with all my heart. And he goes, you'll feel hope too. And it's a whole different thing. It was, I was reading, my comic book is tear-stained. It lost all of its value because it was soaking wet pages. Because... Me and the Lord read that together. And he said, oh, I've been waiting for you so long to read this. In fact, the guy that wrote it 30 years ago wrote it just for you. And 30 years later, like the hand of God over the bush that the ram got caught in, this comic book found its way to you. And I spoke to you through it. Because when I go to that part of my life, I don't say, God, you wait over here. I say, come on. And he's like, I was here anyway. And I'm like, I know. I know, you never leave us. <laughs> Revelation 4.11 says that you were created for his pleasure. You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. Are you a created thing? Yes. 
Come on. Thank you, Dr. Potter. Are you a creative thing? Yes, we are. The doctor said, yes, we are. And they, the created things, exist because of you. Keep on going. There's a little bit more to that one. You created what you pleased. Another translation says you get pleasure from your creation. Man, you are pleasing to God. You know, think about God. Eric painted an amazing picture. If you weren't here for the last two nights, he created an amazing picture of the vastness of the universe that God created. The stars, the heavens, which declare the glory of God. The animals, the intricacies of our form, of our body, and how if one tiny thing was off, it would all fall apart. I mean, do you know how worried science is? Have you ever seen this thing called the doomsday clock? I don't even know if it's a real clock or if it's just a metaphor, but every once in a while you see these news blurbs that are like, oh man, between the pandemic and this asteroid, which let me talk about asteroids now. And between this and that, we are three seconds on the doomsday clock away from utter annihilation. Right? There are so many things in this universe that science will tell you if they were one tiny, minuscule, missed the mark, we'd all just cease to exist. Yet we have a Father and we have Word. We have His Word that holds it all together. Man, He holds it all together. And this place isn't going anywhere. In fact, we're going to be here for a long time. Read the book of Revelation. We're not just leaving here. We're, well, there's a lot to that. We might get robbed to teach about that one day. I don't know. But of all these things, he looks around and he says, man, this pleases me. But the greatest pleasure he has is from you, the ones made in his image. And that's mind-blowing. We can't really affect God. We can't make his word untrue. We can't surprise him, right? He knows everything. He's seen us. We can't give him something he doesn't have. He owns it all. Yet this one way we can affect God is that we can give him pleasure by just being in relationship with him. And when that relationship is not limited to one-fifth of your life, he gets exactly what he wants, and that is every part of you. Every part. Well, what about the ugly parts? Give them to the Lord. He's not scared of the ugly parts. He is not scared. This sounds crazy, but stay with me. He's not afraid of your addictions. He's not afraid of your bad habits. He's not afraid of your anger. He's not, don't even call it your anger, but he's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of that part of you. Bring him into it. And then experience a change that happens from the inside out like never before. When you bring, into, when you bring God into the parts, he says this is not beneficial for you. The great surgeon goes to work and then he cuts away things that don't belong there. That's why it says his kindness leads us to repentance. Man, I could give you so many testimonies of, of that word in action. And I'm not going to right now, but I will one day, maybe soon. I'll give you some testimonies of 
three or four people right now I'm thinking of that brought God and their relationship with the Father into what they considered the worst and most ugly parts of their life and then saw change for the first time ever. I could tell you about one right now. Miss Jean was a missionary. Torreon, Mexico. We'd drive down through the desert of Mexico one time with a sick four-year-old. Boy, you want to drive 10 hours through the desert in Mexico on a 15-passenger bus with a sick four-year-old? That is not a pleasant experience. <laughs> Woo! Lots of... I don't even know if she... I don't know how she ate that much or fit that much in her stomach. All I know is that it was more than empty by the time we got to Torreon. We get to Torreon. Miss Jean was a great lady. She, was, uh, she passed away a few years back, but she ran a school there, a Christian school, and she told this story one time that made so many people mad. But she became addicted to cigarettes and alcohol. And she, as far as she could, kept the Lord out of that part of her life. And one day she heard the Holy Spirit say, hey, invite me to smoke that cigarette with you. She said, no, I would never do that. But she said she knew the voice of the Holy Spirit. Even in her addictions, she knew the voice of the Holy Spirit. So she said she thought she was going to hell, but she lit it. And she said, well, I hope you enjoy this cigarette as much as I do. <laughs> she smoked it. And it was the last one she ever smoked. Because when it was gone, she had no desire for it whatsoever anymore. It was gone. The desire went away. And even beyond that, she said what surprised her the most that she didn't feel guilt or condemnation whatsoever, even though when she invited the Holy Spirit to smoke the cigarette, she said, oh, I'm definitely going to hell now. This is not something you were allowed to say. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you that you got to get a word from the Holy Spirit. That was her word from the Holy Spirit. I am telling you, invite the Lord into every part of your life and watch what needs to be cut away. Just get cut away effortlessly. Don't compartmentalize your life. And by all means, don't compartmentalize the hope that comes along with your salvation. Take it into every part and then see your life, every part of it, flourish more than ever. How do we even try to make it without the Holy Spirit? How do we even think we're going to know what's right and wrong, what's true and untrue in this world without the Holy Spirit. I mean, for every news article I find that says this thing happened, I can find one that says it didn't happen. For every article I find that say this is beneficial, I can find one that says it's not beneficial. Without the Holy Spirit, how is anybody going to know anything? That's why everybody is so unstable. Being double-minded makes you unstable in all your ways. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't even know which way is up and down anymore. Somebody eventually is going to say, we got it wrong. That's actually down. This is actually up. And there's going to be a big old group of people that make a Facebook group around it. And they're going to say, if you think down is down, then you don't belong in this Facebook group. And like Eric said last night, they're going to start protesting that up is not up and down is not down. And if you say down is up and up is down, then you've offended me. It's like the Dr. Seuss book where they butter the bread on the wrong side of the bread. And the one group is like, oh, it's the top side of the bread that gets buttered. And the other group is like, no, it's the bottom side of the bread that gets buttered. And they eventually, just, like, I think they just destroy each other's city because of this buttered bread. Well, we got some cities being destroyed, but God has called us to take hope into those cities. We're not there to destroy. We're here to be in this world, not of this world. And the streets of a city can look completely different. Tomorrow, if we go take hope to those streets today, and it has nothing to do with architecture, it has nothing to do with brick and mortar. 
is something that happens on the inside. And it's got to start here. And the hope and the future that God has for every one of us, and not just believers. God knows the plans he's had for every person that's ever been born. His plans for every person is to give them a hope and a future. We got to go tell them because some people don't know it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Don't compartmentalize. To the believer, to the believer, there is no sacred or secular. It's all sacred. So what sacred moment are you going to have? Is it going to be filled with negativity? Or is it going to be filled with positivity? Is it going to be filled with anger and hate? Or is it going to be filled with love and peace? Is it going to be filled with hope? Because it can be. Erase those lists. Erase those lists and just start with your relationship with God every morning. Start from his feet. Amen? Amen? Man, let's all stand together as the band comes back up. If you're new with us, here's how we close the services out. We're going to respond to the word by just worshiping. I know when I hear the word of God, there's nothing I want more than just to lift my hands and my voice and gratitude. So that's what we're going to do here. We are going to worship here for a few moments. And then after that, we'll have our prayer ministers come up. And as we all release and, and leave for the day, our prayer ministers will be up here for any agreement in prayer any of you guys need. But man, I want to encourage you one last time. We had such an amazing conference this weekend. If you were not a part or if you missed part of it or even if you heard part of it, go back. We have made this weekend so available. I mean, you can watch the services in their entirety on YouTube or on Facebook. You can, as of probably tomorrow afternoon, just stream the messages on our FCG podcast. Do it. Because what Eric spoke the last two nights, and I'm telling you, this message this morning, these three messages can leave us different. It can lead us to a place in our life where hope infuses every part. Because like Eric said, we are creating our own futures through our actions or even our inaction. What is happening in our life in three, four, five, six months from now is because of decisions we're making today. Let's make a decision to tear down the barriers between we have built between the parts of our life. And let's invite the Lord into every part. Let's stop just begging to be used by God and let's just enjoy His presence and watch the results. There'll be more happening than you could ever do on your own. He doesn't want to use you. He wants you, and he will use you. That's pretty good. That just hit me, but that's really good. He wants you, and he will use you. But not use you in the way the world uses, not use you in the way it's been done in the past. When we're being used by the Lord, it is filled with nothing but righteousness, peace, and joy. It's exciting. It's filled with love, and it's leading with love, and it's leading others to Him. Thank you, Father. Amen. Let's respond with a few moments of worship before we close.